And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Well, again, good morning and welcome to the Olathe campus of Christ Community. My name is Nathan. Uh, it's so good to, to be together to, to worship. This, we, we love this day. That uh, we get to celebrate uh, together uh, and spend our time with you. So thanks so much for being a part of this, for carving out time to, to be here uh, in what I know is such a busy, a busy weekend, right, for many of us. Well, as we, as we open God's word uh, this morning and look at these words, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we pray that you would speak to us from these words written so long ago. That we would understand what they mean and what they continue to mean even today. And I, I pray, God, in the midst of what for... For all of us here uh, is either um, a moment of, of joy and excitement, God, or for, for many, um, God, the pain of loss, broken relationships, heightened uh, around this, this time of year. And so, God, I, I, just, I pray regardless of how we come uh, this morning that we would hear from you, God, that you would comfort us, that we would see who you are, Jesus, and why you've come to this earth. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What do you see when you look into the nativity? What do you see? I mean, I guess it kind of depends on what nativity you happen to own and, and look into. I mean, there's so many options, aren't there? Uh, sometimes maybe a little too many options. I, 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 did, this, I did this a few years ago, uh, so forgive me. But this time, this time, I limited myself only to actual nativity sets that you can buy today on Amazon, okay? Like real humans are buying these, okay? All right, this one's not so bad. Uh, I mean, it's a good one for kids, right? It's kind of adorable. Uh, just, just know that baby Jesus will at some point end up in the toilet, right? It's gonna happen. Um, uh, the next one, let's go to the next one here. Uh, okay, so it's hard to, hard to make. I think you're supposed to paint it yourself, uh, but it's cats. <laughs> like Jesus is a cat, people. Uh, God help us, right? Uh, okay, one more. This is another, another good one for the kids. And also to fulfill anyone's lifelong dream of taking a bath with all of them, I guess. I don't, just don't know how that works. Um, okay, here, here, this one, this one's $90. I have so many questions. But I think the biggest is like, who is this for? Like, like, I don't know whether to be offended as a Christian or just as someone with decent taste. I, I really don't know. Um, okay, another, here's a classic, and I love bears, okay? I love bears, but uh, anybody notice that one of them, though, is like holding a snack? 
I mean, he's totally going to eat that sheep, right? I mean, it feels like they're mixing the metaphors there. He's just holding that lamb like he's going to eat it later. It's awful. All right, one, one more, one more. And uh, the award for worst nativity set of 2017, it's only $110. It's tagged with words like hipster and millennial Christmas, just so you know it's going to be good. All right, here it is, right here. Let it sink in. You know, the stable's got the solar power. Mary and Joseph are doing the selfies. We got Amazon packages with the wise men. Uh, if you can, the sheep and the, the cows eating gluten-free feed. I love it. It's perfect, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, they're selling 75 of these a month right now. 110 bucks. I mean, that, that, they're, they're doing all right. Uh, in fact, there's one review like they've got highlighted on the, on the website. Uh, conversation starter, which, yeah, definitely. Um, it's the first thing anyone notices when they walk into my living room. I get a lot of compliments on it. Oh, oh Jessica. Right? <laughs> oh, hon. Like, how many mistakes are you going to make, right? Uh, all right. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Let me, let me ask again, what do you see when you look at the nativity? And, all right, that was a little judgy. I get it. Um, before we just look at those people and their dumb nativity sets, right, and, and we think about the, okay, for, for us, maybe it's not cats and moose and hipsters. But let's be honest, we do the same thing, don't we? Like, it doesn't matter who you are, like, however long you've been a part of church, whether this is your thing or not, you're just maybe a guest this morning. Like, we, we do this. We, we either, when we look into the nativity, many of us, we're so sort of overwhelmed by the sentimentality of it all, right? you just see the bland cuteness and kind of move past it, or we're just entirely bored. Like, how many times do we have to hear this story, right? What do you see when you look into the nativity? And do you see the lamb. And I don't, I don't just mean like the cute, furry, cuddly little animals, the bear food. I don't, I don't mean that. I mean the, the lamb. Because if, if there's one thing I hope we see this morning, we're going to look into the nativity together. If there's, if there's one thing you take with you, I, I hope it's this. And it might, it might seem weird on Christmas Eve or maybe even a little bit morbid, but you cannot miss it from what John says in his gospel to us, that at the center of the nativity is a lamb who was slain. The very center is a cross. If you have a Bible with you, turn to John chapter 1. We've been in John this, this last month together uh, during this Advent season, and, and John kind of gives us the cosmic story of Christmas. We've talked about that. He doesn't talk about the, the shepherds or the wise men or the angels. He kind of gives us the story uh, behind the story. And so these last few weeks we've looked at, I mean, John calls, I mean, he believes some incredible things about Jesus. Whether you, whether you believe them or not, I mean, John believed them, right? He called them the word, that he's the ultimate revelation, the final revelation uh, from God. He refers to, to Jesus as God himself, the creator of all things, the one who has always been. He calls him the light, and the darkness of our world cannot overcome him, John says. And even last week, we saw that, that according to John, our God became ordinary. I mean, as shocking as that is, our God became human, one of us, to rescue us. And, and this morning, John, he's still, he's still introducing his readers to, to Jesus. We're still in chapter 1. And look at, look at verse 29. This is the first story that John tells. The rest has been kind of prologue, so he's been setting the stage. And now he tells story number 1 for John. It's about a guy named John the Baptist. 
It's a different John than the one who's, who's writing, not the same guy. Uh, and John's begun baptizing, which is, I mean, it's kind of a strange thing. There's, they're, they're asking all kinds of questions. These, the religious leaders like, why are you doing this? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? And in verse 29, John sees Jesus. And what does he say? I mean, he could have said any number of things, right? Could have called him the, the king, the the Christ, the Messiah, God himself, the, the creator. He could have called them a lot of things. But instead, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the story John leads with. Like that's, that's the title he points us to after all that we've looked at in John. Like that's where you're going to go? I mean, think of it. It's kind of lame, right? Look at it, a lamb, right? I mean, it's, it's adorable, I guess, uh, but weak. Like, there's, there's, not a, there's not a picture here of, of triumph, of, of power. It's so weak. If you're going to go with an animal, why not a lion or a bear or even a mischievous badger, right? Anything less cuddly. And lamb in the scriptures, it's not an idea of victory, but it's an idea of sacrifice, of death. And John reader, John's readers would have known that. You see, all the gospel writers, they begin their biographies of Jesus a little bit differently, right? We've, we've talked about that. Uh, they all begin a little bit differently, but they all end the same. They all end with a cross and an empty tomb, with Jesus as the lamb who is slain. And so as we, as we peer into the nativity of this Christmas, if this is the center this lamb. There's three questions we have to wrestle with this morning. When you look at the manger, do you see your sin? Do you see his love? And do you see our victory? First, do we see our sin? Do we see it there? And I don't just mean like humanity's sin, like sin in theory, or or the sin of of the person sitting next to you. Do you see your sin when you look at the nativity. Do, do you see it there? And maybe, maybe you hear that and you think, okay, come on, it's Christmas Eve for crying out loud. We have to talk about sin today, like of all days. Can't we just let bygones be bygones? But the reality is you cannot understand Christmas if you don't understand sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, the way that we use sin today uh, we kind of trivialize it, right? We talk about, I mean, it's just kind of a naughty pleasure, isn't it? Uh, you know, the over-rich chocolate cake that you're going to have tomorrow. It's just going to be sinful, right? I mean, that's kind of how we use it. It sort of trivializes the whole thing. We assume that it's, it's, it can't be that big of a deal. We all do it. We all do things we don't like or shouldn't do. We know that, but come on. Does it really matter? But step back for a moment. Just look at what sin has done to our world. I mean, think about it in your own relationships, right? Even if you don't believe in the idea of sin, right? Think about the ways that you, you actively hurt the people that you care about. The ways in which I put myself first as often as I possibly can. Or, or move, move even further out. Think about, think about the violence that continues to exist in the world today. Like for all of our progress as humans, we're such a mess. Francis Spufford in his book, Unapologetic, he defines Sin like this. He says, sin is the human propensity to mess things up. Not just our tendency to to lurch and stumble and screw up by accident, 
our passive role as agents of entropy. No, no. Sin is our active inclination to break stuff. Stuff here including moods, promises, relationships we care about, and our own well-being and other people's. Come on, it's not that big a deal, right? But have you seen a home torn apart by adultery or alcoholism? Have you wrestled with somebody as they deal with abuse in their past or things that they've experienced? I mean, have you, have you met someone who's so self-absorbed or so, so greedy that they just push everyone away? Or, or have, you, have you known relationships in your life or the people around you, good, close relationships, completely dissolved because of bitterness and unforgiveness? And every one of those things starts so small, right? So insignificant. It's like, it's no big deal. Think about slavery, war, terrorism, sexual assault, and racism. I think if, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we know it, right? Again, I don't think you have to be a Christian to know, like, like there's something broken. Like, I can't even keep my own rules, right? More or less God's. Like, the own, my own standards that I, I create for myself, I can't even do that right, right? It's almost like we enjoy destroying each other and ourselves. And the Bible calls this sin, that we have rejected God. We've told him, we, no, thank you. But rather than destroying us, I mean, the message of the nativity is that our God comes to be destroyed for us. On our behalf. In fact, this was predicted by uh, the prophet Isaiah like 750 years or, or so before Jesus came. Isaiah, he writes in the Old Testament, listen to what he says about Jesus. He says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. When you look at the nativity, do you see your sin? Yours. That, that this is what it takes. I mean, think about that, that, that my sin is so bad, my rejection of God so complete, my ability to destroy the people around me and to destroy myself, it's so profound that the only way I could be rescued, the only way I could hope for wholeness and forgiveness is for God himself to come as a human, to enter into the world that he made and to hang on a cross for my sins. Do you see your sin? I thank God we don't stop there, right? It's not the end of the story. The lamb in the nativity humbles us to the depths because we see our brokenness, but it also raises us to the heights because we see his love. When you look at this baby, this lamb, do you see God's love for you? I mean, why, why else did Jesus come? I mean, for his glory, sure. But to make things right, yes, absolutely, to to finish what he began. But ultimately, it's 
for love, that he, that our God loves you. In fact, just a couple chapters later in John, we read, for some of us, these will be familiar words. John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Not for, not for judgment or condemnation, not for angry, anger or wrath, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I think the, tr- the trouble is, though, for us, many of us at least, that when we hear the concept of God's love, we kind of go in one of two directions, typically. And probably vacillate between the two, I do at least. Where, where on the one hand, I was like, well, I mean, of course God loves me, right? He's God. That's his job, right? Of, of course he's going to love me. And besides, like, you've met me, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. It's awful, right? Um, I mean, that, that's kind of, we just sort of assume, well, of course he loves. But why do, we, why do we make that assumption? If we understand sin, if we understand that we've rejected God, that we spend most of our lives ignoring, like, what could God possibly owe you if we tell him time and time again, no thanks? And so, and so and what, on the one hand, we, we, we push it, we just assume it, right? We just say, yeah, of course he does. But on the other hand, I think for many of us, right, we also tr- struggle to believe that he could possibly love me. I mean, maybe humanity, right? But me? Individually, personally, me? Maybe it's the shame that you feel over past regrets and you think, man, how could God possibly love me? Or maybe it's just the inadequacy of your own parents, or maybe your parents were just lousy. And so it's really hard to imagine anything good from a heavenly father. Maybe it's because life is just really messy for you right now. And it's so easy to assume, like, well, if, if he really cared, right, he'd fix it already. And it's so easy to doubt God's love. Do you know that that's, that's the original lie? In fact, in the, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is my favorite kid's Bible. Even if you don't have kids, you should, you should buy this and read this. It's really, really good. The Jesus Storybook Bible. But the way the author describes the first sin and every sin after is with a doubt in, in God's love. In fact, she writes, Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too. And a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. And we hear that voice over and over and over, don't we? And yet, when you see the Lamb, when you see that God has come, I mean, this shouts his love to us, doesn't it? That our God became a a baby, lived the perfect life you and I could never live, and died the death that we deserve, and he did that for you. For you. Is that what you see when you look in the manger? John Newton, for example, he's the author of the the great hymn, Amazing Grace, you know, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wretch? Jeez, John, lay off a little bit, right? So extreme. Like, what's this guy's problem? He calls himself a wretch? I mean, we do minimize our sin, don't we? But if you know who John Newton was, I mean, he was a slave trader, Right? Like, think about that. He, he made his fortune kidnapping human beings, tearing families apart, transporting them in squalor like worthless cargo, and subjecting generations to being sold, oppressed, brutalized, and murdered. I mean, John Newton wasn't a wretch. He was a horror. It's awful. 
But one day he saw his sin for what it was. And he saw God's love in spite of his sin. It changed everything for him. And he, he spends the rest of his life fighting for abolition. In awe of God's amazing grace. And at the end of his life, I just imagine that. Imagine what being on your deathbed would be like for someone with that much shame. And yet, a friend visited him, and Newton said, I love these words, he said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner, and that Christ is a great Savior. Is that what you see in the nativity? Do you see your sin, but don't stop there? Do you see God's love for you, but don't stop there either, because love is love's not enough, right? Despite what John Lennon might say. It's not enough. When you look at the nativity, do you also see our victory? Victory. Which is strange, right? You, you see the little stable and the cute little, cute little animals and a little baby in the manger. and like every, it, Do you see victory there? Because for Christmas to be worth anything at all, you have to look, you have to look further in the story. You, you have to look to Good Friday and Easter. When you see this baby, do you see the risen lamb, the king victorious? In fact, John picks up on this. Uh, later on, he, he writes uh, another book called Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. It's, it's super weird. It's kind of like John's vision of the end of all things, like the end of the, the world as we know it, of, of heaven, new creation, of, of when God finally restores all things. And there's this scene in, in Revelation 5. John, in Revelation, it has the word lamb over and over again in it, 30 times actually. But in Revelation 5, everyone's searching for the one who will finally make it right. I mean, it's a strange sort of apocalyptic scene. And everyone's like, who's going to do it? Like, who's, who's going to take death and sin and evil and be done with it? And they're searching, and they're searching, and they're searching. And then finally, who do they find? A lamb standing as though it had been slain. And when, when they see him, everyone cries out, John tells us. They start singing, shouting, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you are slain. And by your blood, you ransom for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, John says, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature, think about this, in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. The resounding song of heaven. Words that we will one day shout with, with joy. Not merely... Worthy is the baby who was born, but worthy is the lamb who was slain. What will that celebration be like? I know this is a very inadequate picture. Does anybody remember when the, the Royals won the World Series? You guys remember that? Okay. I thought so. Um, and you remember that, that year, obviously they won the pennant to get there, and that, the pennant game was at home, they were against the Blue Jays, it was game six. Um, the, the Blue Jays had tied it in the, the eighth inning, 
Uh, and then we come ahead by one, and then Wade Davis pitching in the ninth, and he just about blows it, right? And there's that 45-minute rain delay. Anybody remember this? Well, a friend of mine had an extra ticket. So I was, I was there. Um, and I will, I will never forget that experience. I hope, I hope this isn't trivializing things here. Uh, for, I, will, I like the excitement, the intensity. I mean, it was, it was absolutely unbelievable. Like, nobody could sit down. There are people who are watching the game like this. I'm not, I'm not, like, you paid how much for these? Like, like, they just couldn't watch. It was too intense. And when we won, it was absolute pandemonium. I never could have experienced anything like that. I mean, jumping up and down and screaming and hugging strangers, which, that's not me, but, man, I was right in there. Uh, tears, right? Because it was just, it was too great. Like, it was, it was pure euphoria. And I, and I thought in that moment, like, as I'm celebrating, like, like this is, like, once, like, I am, I'm never going to experience anything like this ever again. And maybe, maybe this sounds weird to you, but even in that moment as I'm thinking about that, I also began to think, you know what, actually I will and so much more. I mean, what will our victory be like? Not, not just with 40,000 baseball fans, right? But with millions and millions and millions of believers from every place, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, millions and millions, and not just like across all history gathered together, and not, not just the victory of some silly game, right? But the end of evil, the end of, of cancer and depression and loneliness and and heartache and the pain that you and I feel and the sin that lives around us and the sin that other people do to us and the end of death itself, gone for good, gone forever. And in walks the Lamb, Jesus who did that for you. Is that what you see when you look at the nativity? Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see it. God, we can't, we can't do it on our own. Lord, would you show us our sin and help us to hate it? Would you show us how your love frees us from our sin with hope and forgiveness that we don't have to turn back to those old things over and over and over, that we can change? God, I pray that we would see your love. And would you show us victory here? And God, I pray especially, I know, I know certainly for many of us, there's such joy these next couple of days, but I know for so many, there's such pain. God, I, I pray that we would grab hold of this victory that's promised for us, that we would put our hope here, our trust here in you, Lord Jesus, and that we would worship and delight in who you are and what you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. What I've loved about this, this series we've been going through in Advent is, is seeing this Christmas story from this, this cosmic lens that, yes, Christmas is happy birthday, Jesus. It is the birth of Christ, but it is so much more than that. And as Nathan shared, if we, if we don't see the cross, if we don't see the manger of Jesus and the shadow of the cross, we, we miss the story of Christmas. That, that at the end of the book, that the, the end of it all, that what the song that is sung over all of creation is not worthy as the baby that was born, but as worthy as the land that was slain. That's the good news of Christmas. 
that we have a God who looks upon our state and enters in to suffer with us and for us, to bring us back to himself. And so I hope you find joy and comfort in that. I hope as you peer into whatever nativity scene you have at home, that we see the Lamb of God that was slain for us. So hear these words from the Apostle John, uh, who in his revelation says these words, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Have a merry, merry Christmas.